previously on Popping Collars. But it's it's that it's those words breaking news. It's the graphics that they use. It's the way that they they these things are just designed to keep you on edge. And I think that that's how it keeps you know people coming back for more and more. It is addictive. There is an addictive quality to this kind of programming. What you're saying is that this coming Sunday for worship, at every point in the service that we change the element, breaking news, it's the prayer of confession. Breaking news, you are forgiven. Breaking news, it's time for the first scripture reading. Welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of faith and pop culture. My name is Ricardo Avila, and I am one of the co-hosts of the show. I am the interim rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in lovely Long Beach, California. With me today are my co-hosts, Greg Knight and Liz Easton, and we are joined by a special guest star, the Reverend Nancy Frausto. So let's do a round robin of introductions. Greg, who are you? That's I ask myself those questions all the time, Ricardo. Um, who am I? Why am I here? That's what I always do. Uh, no, my name is Greg Knight. I'm the director of children and youth ministries at Bethesda Bussy in Palm Beach, Florida, and have recently returned from a pilgrimage to England with 13 youth members. It was a lot of fun. Liz, what is going on in your neck of the world? Woods. <laughs> My neck of the world. Uh, Hey, Ricardo. Um, I am the canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Nebraska. And our little diocesan staff just got done with a pilgrimage of sorts to every year. The state of Nebraska is geographically really large. And our diocesan offices are located in just one corner of it. So every year we take the whole office and we move to Western Nebraska for a whole week. It was a blast. And I just got back yesterday. Okay. And tonight or today we have a special guest, Nancy Frausto. Nancy, who are you? What's going on with you? Well, I am the associate at St. Luke's Long Beach. I work for the fabulous Ricardo Adela. (laughs) And I am also a consulting evangelist for the office of the presiding bishop. So I get to work with the canon to evangelism, Stephanie Spellers, and I get to put up resources in all types of languages for evangelism, the evil E word in the Episcopal (laughs) Church. (laughs) Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. As you may or may not know, this is episode 66 of our podcast. And today we are going to discuss a movie that has just come out this past weekend. It's called A Ghost Story, and it's directed by Daniel Lowry, or it's directed by David Lowry, (laughs) and it stars Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara with, I think, a fabulous uh, little cameo by Will Oldham. I just want to say I just saw it. I literally finished watching it about an hour ago at a theater in Hollywood, and um, seeing the eight or 10 other people in the massive theater leave, they all seemed a little dazed. Ostensibly, it's about a young couple, Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara, who uh, go unnamed as characters, but they're a young couple, and this isn't giving much away, but Casey dies. He spends the rest of the movie under that stereotypical Halloween costume ghost outfit of a bedsheet with two holes for the eyes. 
basically standing around in the house that they inhabited and waiting for something. So, Nancy, uh, what, what's a, what's a first impression? What's the first thing you would say about this movie to someone who asked you about it? The more I think about it, the more I end up falling in love with the movie. Hmm. But like I said, you have to be patient. You have to get past those first 20 minutes. If you can get past those 20 minutes, you're good to go. <laughs> Nancy, you were, you were briefly mentioning uh, a sort of turning point in the movie for you. Can you mention what happens in that 20, at the 20 minute mark? So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's 20 minutes. Um, at the time, it felt like three hours, but I'm assuming it was 20 minutes. Um, it's the scene right after um, Casey dies. I don't know names. Gosh. Rooney, Rooney yes. The woman. the woman. The way that she expresses her grief is by binging on a huge, what I assume to be pumpkin pie. And she starts off eating it slowly, slowly, and then just gets more and more aggressive as it goes. But the scene itself, it's six minutes of just watching her eat that disgusting pie and the ghost is up in the corner just watching her. Um, And then she runs to the bathroom and throws up and you feel like throwing up with her because it has just been six minutes of your life that you're never going to get back. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I'm I'm guessing that was the end of the part you did not like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that, that, that was the end. Um, it was about that time when she, the, the scene then moves on to her listening to some music that he uh, composed. And that scene is so beautiful. Um, I fell asleep. I fell asleep listening to that song over and over again. I've been listening to the whole soundtrack all day today. I know, crazy. Um, but yeah, that was the major turning point. Or, or really anyone uh, who got through the pie scene. <laughs> if you made it through the pie. I think Liz bailed on the pie. That was yeah, when so she I, pulled the ripcord. <laughs> so I did. I kind of bailed after the pie scene. I um, I was having some technical difficulties, so it was getting kind of hard to keep watching for other reasons. But um, the pie scene just sort of it either made me so uncomfortable, which is a sign of really good filmmaking, that I felt like... I kind of had to run away from it or um, it was just bad. And I, th- I swear it felt like it was longer than six minutes. And um, I really did. And it was sad and it was weird. And in one way it was really reflective of like what grief really is like these private moments of kind of losing yourself and coping in a weird way. Um, so that felt really real, but otherwise, and I couldn't get over the weird ghost costume. So I don't know. I'm, this is like my popping collars character that I play is like, I didn't watch the movie. <laughs> so I made it through the pie scene and I, <laughs> I started thinking actually in the pie scene, like, gosh, that's gotta be, I mean, this movie is only an hour and a half. So 15 minutes of that movie had to be pie eating at some point um but no i've been assured by nancy that it's six and i'll believe that but i'm with you liz i think that there's something really it just feels like as a viewer you're in a space that's really uncomfortable in that moment and a lot of it a lot of the uncomfortable nature of it i think has to do with the fact that there's nothing else happening there's no music there's no uh, background movement, really, other than the ghost is just standing there. There's nothing happening except you watching Rooney Mara eat a pie for six minutes. And there's something really vulnerable, I think, about that. Like that, that it just makes it makes you as an audience member sort of feel anxious, sort of sitting in that space. 
but I don't know. I don't really sit with too many grieving people. Ricardo, do you like experience like this moment of sort of sitting with people in grief and stuff like that as a parish priest? Uh, yeah, I'm Nancy, probably you as well. Um, yes, I have. And actually, you know, I'm with people sometimes when they're, when they're still alive and know they're going to die and are grieving. I'll just, I'll just say something that may or may not be true. I think it is when I am with someone who has lost a loved one, I fight against the temptation that I have to just try to make them laugh or make it better or distract them or ask a lot of dumb questions. This movie is kind of what what I would shoot for in a way. Just be with them and let them feel their grief. Well, okay, so I watched the movie with my brother and my sister, and they both hated the movie. And we actually had a whole conversation about this pie-eating scene because my sister said that it would have been so much, it would have shown so much more emotion if the ghost had moved and sat next to her and just sat next to her. Mm. Um, and, and, And yeah, it would have, but actually like, Thinking about what we do for a living and when we are trying to comfort someone, sometimes all we have to, all we can do is just stand there um, and let them be. I mean, even just, I think it would have broken the spell if the ghost had moved. Yeah. You know, it would, it, 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 the scene wouldn't have been as powerful and as, as disturbing and uncomfortable as it was. Because grief is so uncomfortable and it's horrible. And just ha- just like I wanted to like run out of the theater and never return to watch the movie at that scene, that's how I feel sometimes when I'm with someone <laughs> that has just lost, you know, like I just want to get out of that room. Yeah. But part of our job is that presence, kind of being that ghost that just watches them. Oh, I love this film. See, I have to go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so interesting. You just sort of re- kind of redeemed the pie scene for me because I have s- had so many times of standing like that ghost in a hospital room in particular, like when, especially at the moment of death, when like the whole family is there and you want to be there, but you also don't want to interfere too much in the family's dynamic. And so you're there and maybe your part comes later with praying or helping in some way, but you just stand in the corner of the room sometimes for hours. And um, yeah, so I've totally, maybe that's part of what made me uncomfortable is I've, I have felt like that ghost in lots and lots of situations. It's got the title of a ghost story. I mean, honestly, it feels like if you're going to this movie, you're expecting it to be sort of a summer horror movie, you know, sort of like Casey Affleck is out for revenge or something <laughs> on like whoever murdered him. Uh, and it's not that it's this quiet sort of reflection on uh, a human life that actually in the grand scheme of things, and we have to kind of talk about, I guess how this movie deals with time, but in the grand scheme of things, most people are forgotten. And so, it, and so it, it's just sort of sitting in the space and, and watching a simple life sort of desperately cling on to not being forgotten. There were moments of this film that felt really uh, close to sort of my thoughts about death and and really the fear of, you know, what is this what is this life all about? And after I die, what what did it all mean? 
somebody recently said to me like that they had kind of finally figured out what life after death means and maybe what heaven is and that for them they had they had really can become convinced that it was living on in the hearts and minds of other people that your love is perpetuated through the lives of people who loved you and um that's just not true <laughs> like <it's, laughs> you don't want to be a jerk but like just like you said greg i mean that maybe lasts for a generation maybe yeah. Um, but that's just not true. Our, you know, part of what we have to grapple with with humans is a much more profound finality than that, um, which I think is terrifying and that people um, push against and avoid in, in really intense ways. Liz, yes. Um, you probably didn't get as far in the movie as hearing uh, Will Oldham's character's soliloquy uh, in the credits, he's called the prognosticator. Uh, there's just a party of like young hipsters and such, and they're talking about stuff. And Will Oldham, Oldham, who is this kind of balding, kind of country-looking fellow, uh, is going on and on about life and meaning. And he talks about Beethoven's Ode to Joy and how even that won't last and nothing lasts. And just what you said is what he says, Liz. He says, you know, you're going to be remembered by your by your children and maybe your grandchildren. Uh, but then it doesn't go much further than that. And unless you write something that is uh, eternal, and even then the world's going to end or there'll be something and only 10% of humanity will be left. But then maybe someday ten, one of the, one person in that 10% will hum Ode to Joy because they've remembered it from something and it'll come back again and then it'll be a whole new thing, but then even that'll die away. And so, and then the sun will swallow up the earth. You know, so basically nothing lasts. Right. The book of Ecclesiastes. I believe. Yeah. You know what? There is no permanence. So eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But be mindful of God. Well, and for everything, there's a season. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think that for us, like, especially right now in our culture, like, if, um, again, I didn't watch the movie, but if his point to these young hipsters, which I don't think it, this is, it doesn't sound like this is his point, but his point might be, wow, you better write a thing that's eternal. You better write the great American novel. You better write um, the next great symphony. Otherwise, your life won't matter. Well, that's also not true. I, I feel like in like our um, culture right now, we all are seeking, especially in like my generation, this sort of immortality through fame-ish, but it's not real fame. It's sort of like, I think that social media is just one um, representation of this, of how we sort of tell the stories of our lives in a way that gets likes and shares and blah, blah, blah. And you become sort of famous or infamous in a certain way. And that's a way to live a big life and to live on. And of course that's not true. And I think that there are a lot of folks who think that, um, they are sort of destined for a unique kind of leaving a unique kind of mark on the world. And that if you do that, then that um, is the measure of a happy or meaningful or successful life. And that's just not real. Like I love that Ricardo brought up Ecclesiastes in this conversation because that is a part of, of this, I think um, of the spiritual life is recognizing that, you know, what chasing after immortality or, or actually just sort of 
you know, making your life grander than it actually is, is grasping after wind. Like you're, you're, you are trying to attain something that doesn't exist. True wisdom, realizing that, no, actually, one day you're going to be forgotten. One day, whatever you are, isn't going to be anymore. In that recognition, in that wisdom, there's peace, but it's a really weird kind of peace, it mm-hmm. feels like. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't like where this conversation is going because I like to believe I'm very special. <laughs> uh, and I, I just couldn't help but just like remember the quote from Fight Club. You are not special. You're not beautiful. You're not a unique, beautiful snowflake. You're the same decaying organic matter as everything else. We're all part of the same compost heap. We're all singing, all dancing, crap of the world. <laughs> and I hated that quote so much because it made me feel not special. And you guys are bringing up the feel- that feeling all over again. <laughs> But well, you are special because you're created in the image and likeness of a God who loves you. Like that is special. That alone right. is special. Each one of us is special in that really miraculous and wonderful way. But and I'm going to be forgotten. <laughs> and you will be forgotten. I mean, I think that that's, that's the beauty of what we do, right? As, as sort of religious people, as, as people who, um, I always like to say uh, we're called to be lovers of people. And when we do that, I think that I think that we have to recognize that two things are very true. You are created in the image of God and you will be forgotten. Like those two things are true. And it's okay. Like it's okay for those things to be true. Just like, yeah, you're you're created, you know, you you are the same crap that the rest of the world is made of, but you're also as a carbon-based life form, you're you're the same thing that stars are made of too. Like these things are both true. Well, so just really quickly, now now that for the future, you guys, in case I die, what I want on my tombstone is I am made as the same organic form of the stars, or whatever Greg said. I like that. I want that on my tombstone, guys. I stole I stole that one from Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> Wow. Well, I'll steal something from Joni Mitchell. Um, on the drive from the movie theater to here where we're recording in L.A., it's stuck in traffic. Her song Woodstock came on and she has something similar. She says, we are stardust, we are golden, and we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Mm. And I've pondered that line sometimes. Um, I don't know what she meant, but what I hear is um, we're stardust. So in a way, we're we have we're just material thing, a material thing like everything else. But then she says, but we are golden. And then she says, and we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. I assume Eden, um, meaning maybe part of our life's goal or meaning is to find ourselves that I will just throw out there and cannot prove still exists in us. That pre-Adam and Eve, if you will, perfection or godness. Um, And so that maybe that's the only meaning we can have is that longing uh, and not necessarily that arriving, but I don't want to think we're just specks of gold. I, I, I at least want to think we sparkle. Um, <laughs> and I would say, just like in the movie, um, the two ghosts that show up, because there's like the neighbor ghost who's also waiting for something silently. I, I was like, what do they have in common? Because the, the, the neighbor ghost finally, right, years and years and years later, is waiting for someone but doesn't remember who it's waiting for. And then at, at some point, the houses get bulldozed and the neighbor ghost says, I guess they're not coming. And in that second, the bedsheet just falls to nothingness. Mm. 
there's something about longing for something or wanting something that keeps those ghosts around. And to me, that's the one thing that's keeping them around. And Casey goes through a whole darn cycle of it and finally gets that little note out of the cranny in the doorpost. So I don't know if he was holding on to what's in that note as some longing that kept him kind of going from disappearing completely. What is it that's keeping them around? But he found some sort of resolution. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Right. But like, so what is that for us? That once we are finally done, we get to sit at that wonderful banquet table with. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. That's that's one. I don't know. I don't know. I am. This movie is really messing with my beliefs about everything. Mm. Um, And just making me question. Um, One of the things that I thought about when when he finally gets that note and looks at it and we, and we don't, the audience, we, we don't get to see what the note says. And then part of him is like, is he finally in heaven? Mm. Like that's, you know, like that was just like this like little girl part of me that's like, is there finally rest for him? Mm. Um, and it just kind of made me think about what rest looks like. You know, we get up in our pulpits and we preach about this heavenly banquet and we try to give people discomfort when they have lost someone that they will welcome them once it's our they will be the ones to welcome us once it's our turn to go into into heaven but how sure are we of that yeah what what if the blanket just drops and it's the end that's not our faith presumably but faith again is is by definition is not provable Liz. Well, I was going to say, I, you're right. It's not our faith. And I do believe, um, I don't know if my conception of heaven matches with sort of the, um, the sort of popular visualizations, I guess, of heaven. Although I do believe that we are rejoined in union with God through Christ and the communion of saints, et cetera. But so, so even if that is our faith and I really, you know, profoundly believe that it is, it's still, to me, it is still a worthwhile exercise and a worthwhile um, kind of examination of our hearts to think that, to spend some time thinking and reflecting on what it means if the sheet just drops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, cause I, yeah. I think that that's the base of our human fear and um, I think that it causes people to do a bunch of wild and weird things um, that they can't understand. And yeah, so I think that it's worth the it's worth the hard work of imagining that that might be just what happens. You know, one conception of heaven is that we die and we go to heaven, but we're just kind of we're we're kind of subsumed into the Godhead, meaning we kind of lose our personalities. We lose our, you know, sense of Greg, Liz, Nancy, and Ricardo-ness and just become part of God again. And I remember when I first heard that, I was kind of pissed. What? People. I want to see people. I want to have enough time to catch up on my Netflix queue. (laughs) I want to read all the books I wanted to read. That is heaven and not subsumed into the Godhead. Come on. Except for his experience, and I don't, I don't know if that is the afterlife for him because again, we don't know what happens when the sheet drops. But for him, right. that existence is profoundly lonely, and I believe that whatever happens to us as people who are made to be in relationship with one another, who um, at least like the Christian life is a life that is lived in relationship as members of the body of Christ and in a relationship with Jesus. And so to me, like the saddest thing about that concept of um, if that is the afterlife for him 
is that it's lonely. That would be like hell, right? In that sense, yeah. In that sense, being subsumed into the Godhead, I'd like to think involves some sort of relationship that maybe if you, though you lose yourself, you become one with everything else. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand what that means, except that I don't necessarily have a consciousness of relationship. I just sort of am relationship. Mm-hmm. That somehow maybe there is this, you know, you talk about the great cloud of witnesses. Maybe there's a great cloud of ghosts in the room with us who aren't interacting <laughs> with us. But I, I don't even know what the point of this is, except to say that um, you're not alone. That you're not alone. You know, you're right. That there are memories in, in the walls. Will Oldham, again, who I think spoke three times more than anyone else in the yeah. movie combined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he had this whole monologue, and one of the things he said early on in it is that matters is whatever it is you create or do or feel for other people is the only thing that matters, but even that is temporal. It's only going to matter while you're alive and to those people. You know, the Kurt Vonnegut book that will be read for another 20 years and then never again. Or uh, the, the people you loved who remember you when they're dying you know, in 45 years, but so that there's, there is a, a span of time in which who you were will mean something to someone else and then no longer, but so what, you know, that span of time has a preciousness to it that we can decide to impose meaning on or just say, Hey, there's no meaning, but screw it. I really like that Kurt Vonnegut book. It made me laugh and that's not so bad. You and part of the podcast where we have a staff pick. Uh, One of our co-hosts or guest star will step up and tout something or maybe slam something that they have recently experienced and want to let you know about. And up today is Greg. Greg, what have you got to share? Okay, so I think I may be tag teaming with Liz, pun intended on this one, uh, because we both watched a documentary uh, recently and highly recommend it. It's called Nobody Speak. It's currently available on Netflix. And it is about, it it is a very current story about the war, for lack of a better word, between the free media of America and political systems, specifically the administration that's currently running the White House. And it all starts by linking it back to the trial of uh, Hulk Hogan, uh, where uh, Hulk Hogan had a sex tape, as celebrities are wont to do sometimes, mm. to get their careers on track or at least get their names in the media and uh and his his sex tape was released on a website called gawker.com and it became a case of is it newsworthy to put a celebrity's racist rant on a website is that news 
uh, and what ended up happening in this uh, in this trial is that uh, Hulk Hogan ended up winning his lawsuit because he wasn't because Gawker wasn't able to defend themselves adequately enough to to argue for the fact that his public persona of Hulk Hogan having a sex tape was news and so therefore Gawker was shut down because of the because of the amount of money that they had to pay they went into bankruptcy um and so it becomes this it becomes this bigger narrative of okay so what does that mean for the press moving forward if someone doesn't like a news story can they sue a reporter a paper an editor to the point that they shut down that news system because they don't want a story to go to print. And it gets into the case of the billionaires, these billionaires buying up newspapers. So Jeff Bezos buying the Washington post, um, Sheldon Adelson buying the Las Vegas review journal. Uh, and is that, is that a compromise? Like, is that, um, is that putting the integrity of journalism at stake? Well, not to mention the fact that it comes out that Peter Thiel, also a um, you know Silicon Valley billionaire, funded Hogan's entire trial because he had a bone to pick with Gawker Media. So he did that all sort of secretly. Um, there's just like levels and levels of intrigue. And it goes all the way to the White House, where Donald Trump said often in his stump speeches for uh, during his candidacy, I'm going to open up the libel laws so that we can sue papers if we, you know, so that we can so that we can finally get revenge on the press. He would point out the press that were covering his campaign. He would point them out to the crowds, at his rallies and signal them as the enemy. He would he would call them the enemy during his rallies. Right. He um, threw people out. He denied credentials to people. He got, called them fake news, obviously. And, and so this is the world that we're living in. And this documentary does a good job of put, of, of connecting the dots on all these pieces because all of these things get presented as sort of separate items. But once you connect the dots and you show that what happened to Hulk Hogan in Florida in 2007 is directly related to who we elected as president in 2016 – it really becomes pretty powerful it, and, it, and it starts to make you think back over news and news cycles and figuring out, wait a second, we didn't just get here overnight. There's actually, there's actually a story that built us to this point. And how do we want that story to be reported going forward? Well, thank you all for listening to episode 66 of Popping Collars. Thank you, as always, Liz and Greg, for your able co-hosting. And a special thanks and shout out to Nancy Frausto. It was great to have you here, Nancy. You are a sparkling presence in the Popping Collars sky. I am a golden sparkly sky dust. (laughs) Thank you guys for having me. You have a brand new friend. Yay. Yay. Well, speaking of fans, hey, fans out there, you can find this and many other episodes of Popping Collars in so many places, I cannot keep track. So I'm going to ask for the assistance of my co-hosts on this. Greg, where can they find Popping Collars? Oh, you can find us on any social media site that you can think of, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, just search Popping Collars and we'll be there. Also, we are featured on Episcopal Cafe each and every single time. We love EpiscopalCafe.com. We know you will as well. Check them out for all your Episcopal news needs and beyond you could also find us on our website poppingcollarspodcast.com 
or even on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other place where you get your podcasts. All right. Somebody has scripts and I don't have them. <laughs> you need to send that to me. Thank you all for listening. And that is another episode of Popping Collars Down Your down your Gullet. Join us again. Enjoy that one and tune in again next time for more edifying podcasts here at Popping Collars. See you next time. And remember, keep those collars popped.